There's a hit reality TV show, uh, Undercover Boss. Maybe you've seen it. In this show, Undercover Boss, in each episode, a high-level executive of a major company goes incognito and joins the entry-level employees for a day of work without their knowing. It's a pretty fun show. It's heartwarming, encouraging. And it reminds me a lot of the Advent season, the season in which we celebrate he who is high and lifted up willingly descending to join the ranks of a lowly people who don't fully grasp his identity. For the next four Sundays, we hope to journey through an Advent series that we've called Behold the Son of Man. In this series, we'll enter into the Christmas story from a slightly unusual angle. Instead of beginning at the stable where Jesus was born, we'll begin with the prophetic dream that we recently examined in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel describes one who is like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven to usher in a forever kingdom of redemption and restoration and consolation. Each Sunday, we, we plan to examine a passage from the book of Matthew. So if you were here when we had our uh, Good and Godly Life Sermon on the Mount series, and you still have your, 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 your Matthew scripture journal, you're welcome to bring that and use that and write some more notes in it. Because each week, we'll, we hope to examine a passage from Matthew where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man that Daniel had seen in his dream. And Lord willing, in this series, throughout this series, we'll not only see how Jesus is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophetic dream, we'll be reminded that what we celebrate this time of year is really, really worth celebrating. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or your scripture journals if you if you brought one, or on your devices, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17, where Jesus and his disciples have just entered into the district of Caesarea Philippi, a region of Israel located 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Before we read, it would be helpful to just simply be reminded that by this time in Jesus' earthly ministry, he has miraculously turned water into wine. He has walked on water and calmed a raging sea. He has transformed two fish and five loaves into a banquet for thousands of hungry Jews. He has healed the sick, the deaf, the blind, the lame, the mute. And he has raised dead people to life. Have that in your mind as we enter into this passage. I'd invite you to follow along as I read. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, a far cry shorter than the passages we have been jumping into, all right? Here we go. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, the correctness of our enthusiasm for this Advent season hangs on the very question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Father, by this passage and by your most Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd remind us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that it might enliven our Advent celebrations all the more. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Not unlike the entry-level employees in the TV show Undercover Boss, it seems as though the general population of Israel, as we are in Matthew chapter 16, the general population seems to be completely unaware of Jesus' true identity, right? He turns to his disciples in verse 13 and he asks, who do people say that Son of Man is? And the answers are all over the place. We're given three in verse 14. Some people apparently thought the Son of Man might have been John the Baptist. Others thought it might have been Elijah or Jeremiah, or another of the Old Testament prophets. And, and while each of those men, they were each certainly model men of God, worthy to be respected and even replicated, while each of them were model men, godly men, none of them could compare with Daniel's description of the Son of Man. In fact, these men, as godly as they were, paled in comparison to he who would be the Son of Man. Now pause with me for just a moment on this because a whole sermon could be preached right here from verses 13 and 14. A whole sermon could be preached on the various ways the professing Christians especially in this season when we claim to be celebrating Jesus' coming, the various ways we tend to lose sight of the main character of this season. I mean, the Israelites here, they, they, they really had no idea who the Son of Man is. They were claiming this guy and that guy and that guy. How much of that is a picture of our, of our, of our season? Who's the main character? I don't think that this is an issue that, 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 I'm, that I'm making much of. I mean, just look at, just for a brief second, we're not going to harp on this or spend a ton of time. Look at the number of American churches who have already canceled their worship services on December 25th. 
Who is this about? <laughs> Who is this about? For the remainder of our time this morning, we'll consider one simple statement, I think, that kind of summarizes this passage, this short passage. We'll consider one simple statement and we'll divide it into two parts. So we'll have two points. One statement, two points. Here's the statement. Because Jesus is the Son of Man, we have every reason to worshipfully celebrate his coming. And so we'll divide our outline this way. Point number one, because Jesus is the Son of Man. Point number two, we have every reason to worshipfully celebrate his coming. Number one, because Jesus is the Son of Man. 450 years before the advent of Jesus, that is the arrival of Jesus, an Israelite named Daniel who had been taken captive to the city of Babylon along with 5,000 others, he recorded a very strange dream that came to him one night. I really hope that this sounds somewhat familiar. In his dream, four ferocious beasts representing four earthly kingdoms, they waged wars and rose to world power one after the other. And the fourth beast was particularly violent toward God's people. It afflicted God's people. It wore them down and seemingly, seemingly overcame them until a righteous judge destroyed it with a drop of his heavenly gavel. The dream culminated with the destruction of the fourth beast when one who was like a son of man arrived with the clouds of heaven. The son of man was then presented before the righteous judge and he was declared worthy of all power and all glory over an eternal kingdom of peace that would be comprised of all God's people, all God's weary people from every nation and language of the world. That was the pinnacle of Daniel's dream in Daniel chapter 7. And the main character clearly is this mysterious figure who became much anticipated and longed for by the Jewish people. One who was like a son of man, who from Daniel's dream resembled both man and God, who would redeem and restore and console all God's people forever. This part of Daniel's dream had become so well known among the people of Israel that there was a collective yes to this son of man. The Jews were crying out for this son of man to be realized from this dream. And by the time we get to Matthew chapter 16, 450 years have passed by. And in steps Jesus of Nazareth. Who has, at this time in the story, miraculously turned water into wine? He's walked on water 
He's calmed a raging storm. He's transformed two measly fish and some loaves into a banquet for thousands. He's healed the sick, the deaf, the mute, the lame. And he's raised dead people to life. Clearly, this Jesus possessed a divine nature. I mean, men can't do those things. And yet, this Jesus also possessed a human nature. And this is where we really get into the Advent story. In a shelter that had been purposed for livestock, to a young virgin woman named Mary and her to-be husband Joseph, God the Son Jesus, be amazed, be marveled, was actually physically born a baby. I mean, not to be super cheesy, but talk about like the ultimate undercover boss, right? God the Son who is the image of the invisible God. He willingly descended to the lowliest of human stature. God the Son, marvel at this, God the Son who made the tree that made the wood, that made the manger, willingly lowered himself to be laid in it. It's kind of baffling to me when I think about all those that many of the Jews thought, you know, the son of man was John the Baptist or or, or Elijah, Jeremiah. Again, those men, yes, they were godly. But none of them, no one has ever fit the dual natured description of the son of man like Jesus. And none of those men had claimed to be the Son of Man either, which Jesus does repeatedly in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. In fact, even in verses 13 and 15 of our passage, look at me, or not look at me, look with me at the phrasing of these two questions, okay? Look at verse 13 and then 15. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And who do you say that I am? Do you hear how Jesus exchanges the Son of Man in verse 13 with the personal pronoun I in verse 15? What Jesus is really asking his disciples and us here is, who do those around you believe that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you believe that I, the Son of Man, really am? In other words, am I, the son of man, just a good example for you to follow? Am I, the son of man, just a good teacher for your intellectual amusement? Am I, the son of man, just a worker of tricks for your convenience? Am I, the Son of Man, just a bodyguard for hire 
to keep off your back the enemies that have risen against you in part because of your own sin? How about this one? It's fitting for the season. Am I, the, the, the son of man, merely a footnote in your daily ponderings and dealings and Christmas traditions? Who do you really believe that I, the son of man, am? This might be the most profound and probing question in all of scripture and we would do well to reflect on it at the outset of this Advent season. Let me ask you again, who do you really believe that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? Pastor theologian David Platt rightly asserts how you answer that question that's posed by Jesus will determine everything about how you follow him. How you answer Jesus' question will determine everything else. It will determine how we follow, how we worshipfully celebrate, how we live, how we conduct ourselves. It would determine everything. So, Point number one, because Jesus is the son of man, he clearly demonstrates that he is and he even claims to be. Number two, we, we have every reason to worshipfully celebrate his, his coming. Verse, in verse 16, from the mouth of Simon Peter, whose father's name was Jonah, that's what it means, bar Jonah. From the mouth of Simon Peter, we gather that Jesus, the Son of Man, had come to earth for a much greater purpose than to merely rescue God's people from the devilish schemes of the fourth beast in Daniel's prophetic dream. The Son of Man had come for much more than that. Simon Peter, in response to Jesus' question here, Jesus says, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Simon Peter Man, he, he truly gets it. He answers in verse 16. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. You are the Messiah, sent of God. The one who has willingly descended from on high in order to wash us and cleanse us and purify us as God's people so that as you defeat that devilish apocalyptic beast, you will also prepare us and dress us in the righteousness that is required for us to enter your heavenly kingdom forever. This is what gives us every reason to worshipfully celebrate the coming of Christ every day, including in this season. Jesus, the majestic Christ, the Son of Man, Son of God, has come to earth, born in our likeness. He was held and swaddled as one of us. He was protected and nurtured 
as one of us. He learned to walk and talk and to eat solid food and drink and sleep. He gradually had to grow. He, he grew in wisdom and stature just like us. And he was exposed to every form of temptation that we are. Yet he was without sin. He was made to be like us in every respect, Hebrews 2, 17, in order that he could be and would be our fitting and merciful representative to save us from a far more threatening enemy than a temporal oppressor such as beast number four. He was made to be like us in every respect in order to save you and me from the eternal consequences of our own sin. Brothers and sisters and visitors, do you believe, as the Apostle Paul conveys in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 and basically every other epistle, do you believe that you were dead in unrighteousness, spiritually dead in unrighteousness, in selfishness and pride and greed and idolatry and sexual immorality and overindulgence and worldly passions and backstabbing and lies and laziness and the list goes on when you think about how extensive sin is it should overwhelm us do you believe that you're guilty of those things conversely do you believe that you're guilty of any self-righteousness Silent chest puffing as you look around at all the other sinners around you. If they could just get their act together. <laughs> I mean, if they could just take some cues from me. Look how much I've sweetened the deal. I made it easy for Jesus to save me because look at how obedient I am. Get off the horse, man. Me too. Do you believe that you're guilty of unrighteousness and or self-righteousness? Both are damning. Listen to Colossians 2, 13 through, uh, 13 through 15. You were dead in those trespasses. You, you, you were dead. Unfeeling. Unwanting. Unresponsive. And yet, he continues, Paul, you were dead in the trespasses, in your trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, the unwillingness to submit and surrender to, to God, yet God made you, if you're in Christ, if you believe this, he has made you, past tense, alive together with Jesus, having forgiven you all your trespasses, as Pastor Ed so wonderfully reminds us after we've done our prayer of, you've been forgiven of it all, and further, God, having made you alive together with his son, he canceled 
the record of debt that stood over your head with its legal demands. He canceled the debt that the law says guilty, guilty, guilty. He canceled it. And then God the Father laid the punishment of your guilty verdict on your perfect representative, Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. And through that sacrificial death on a cross, where Jesus became your sin, believer, through that sacrificial death on the cross, God accomplished two things. He killed two birds with one son. He has nailed your guilty verdict to the cross. It's paid in full. It cannot come back to haunt you. You're free. And he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and the fourth beasts of this world on the cross, mysteriously, by death, the Son of Man reigned victorious, putting rulers and authorities and fourth beasts to open shame by triumphing over them. What's the worst that the fourth beast in Daniel's dream could do? Kill a man? Yep, that's about it. But even Jesus, he laid his life down and said, guess what? The grave has no hold on me, nor does it for my people. Do you believe, brother, sister, visitor, do you believe that God has accomplished all these things on your behalf through Jesus? Who do you really believe that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? Do you believe this? Then, well, verse 17. Blessed are you, Jewel Miller. Blessed are you, Brian Hodge. Welcome back to Worcester. Blessed are you, Sharon Baddick. Blessed are you, Brandon Leatherman. Blessed are you, Brother Chuck Wyrick. Blessed are, blessed are all of you just as much as Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you. If you believe this gospel message as simple yet profound as it is, blessed are you this day and forevermore. For guess what? You didn't reason your way into that. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Your parents, they were probably pretty good. Would love to meet them someday. They're not the ones who convinced your dead heart of the truth of the gospel and the realness of the person and work of Jesus. None of us have weaseled our way into this on account of our intellect, on account of our family of origin, on account of the fact that we just have a penchant for being very obedient and submissive. <sighs> No, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God the Father.
Father from heaven working through his Holy Spirit, listen to these words that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonians 1 verses 4 through 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, that you, that you are loved by God and that he has chosen you for salvation. And here's how we know that he has done these things. Well, the gospel, the gospel came to you not only in word, flesh and blood word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Have you been cut to the heart enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, Son of God, Christ Messiah, who lived and died and rose to life to save you? You are dearly loved. Dearly, dearly, dearly loved. He's chosen you. Blessed are you. Blessed am I. And what an emblem that we have an opportunity to just burst out of this schoolhouse this afternoon, go and break forth out into the community of Worcester and radiate with this contented countenance that I, apart from all of my dead works and self-righteousness and unrighteousness, have been made a son of God by grace. Nothing can shake that. I'm his. Come hell or high water, come the fourth beast, come what may. I am yours and you are mine and nothing can shake it. What an opportunity we have to go out and just sing that song during this season when we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. Because there's another advent on deck and he is soon to return. Let's pray together. And then we will sing our hearts out with joy. Oh, Father God in heaven, you are so worthy, so wonderful, so wise to have written this gospel story mysteriously before the foundations of the world were laid. I don't understand that. I don't even need to. What I know is this, for each and every one of us who believes that your son, the son of man, the son of God is the Christ, the Messiah, the answered fulfillment of every T and I in the Old Testament made apparent in the new. Oh Lord, for us who know that, believe that we are yours Nothing will snatch us out of your hand. That is Jesus' guarantee to us in almost every chapter of John after John 6. No one's going to snatch us, Lord. Help us to behold this majestic Son of Man and to glory in the grace, the gift that is our being yours, washed free of our stains, broken loose from the chains of our iniquities, Lord, we are now standing as we, as we, where we are right now, we stand on the one hand, fully and completely perfect and righteous, and on the other, we are growing up into it. Help us to do that. Help us to put you on, Jesus. 
especially in this season that we claim is all about you. Help us. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.